And then ultimately, as I was um, talking to college students and lecturing at some marketing courses, I would share, you know, talk about what we do in sense and strategy, but talk about the role of empathy. And the students were just hanging on the, every word of the stories that I was telling, some of which are in the book. And that's when it was like, oh, you know what? I need to use these stories, use my own experiences with empathy to help other people understand empathy itself and, and how to maybe get there and overcome their own barriers. Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. What gets in the way of empathy? Our judgments, ego, biases. It can even impact our ability to connect with colleagues and our customers. But good news, my guest today, CEO and empathy activist, Rob Volpe, shares research and stories from his latest book, Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. Rob is an astute observer of life and a master storyteller who brings empathy and compassion to the human experience. As CEO of Ignite360, he leads a team of insights, strategy, and creative professionals serving the world's leading brands across a range of industries. Rob is a thought leader in the role of empathy in marketing and the workplace. He shares five steps to overcome empathy barriers and apply the insights to your brand and customer. We discuss how some marketers unknowingly dislike their customers and how that gets in the way of effectively attracting them. We discuss the world's current empathy crisis and how, hopefully, Gen Z will light the path for us. You'll also hear from Rob's cat, Domino, and we discuss our favorite ice cream flavors to illustrate how a lack of empathy can lead to bad business decisions. Take a listen. Let's get connected. If you're loving this content, don't forget to go to theempathyedge.com and sign up for the email list to get free resources and more empathy-infused success tips and find out how you can book me as a speaker. I want to hear how empathy is helping you be more successful. So please sign up now at theempathyedge.com. Oh, and follow me on Instagram where I'm always posting all the things for you at Red Slice Maria. I am so excited to have you, Rob Volpe, on the podcast today. Welcome, talking about empathy with my fellow empathy activists. Thank you, Maria. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, this has been so great. And you and I, um, we connected because we're both published through the same publisher. Yes. And we're doing such complementary work and such consistent work. And I'm so excited that we also discovered that we live in the same area. So we will be surely getting together and conspiring together at some point. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like kindred spirits. Exactly. Exactly. It's actually, this is one of those things where the more people talking about this, the better, the more people writing books, the better. So your book, tell me more about that. Solving the empathy crisis, one conversation at a time, before we get into the nuts and bolts of our, of our conversation today, tell us really quickly, you know, we know your bio, but how did you come to this work as a marketer coming into empathy, you know, I've shared my story with my listeners of how, you know, what, what the heck is a brand strategist doing talking about empathy, but tell us your story. Yeah. So, I mean, similar to a brand, I think anybody that works in marketing in any way, shape or form, it's all about, no, I mean, marketing and sales, so many functions. It, you have to know who your customer is. You have to understand them and connect with them. And um, my firm, Ignite360, we're an insights and strategy firm. So we're helping our clients connect with, build empathy, in other words, with their consumer. And it's just always been so much of the work that we do is qualitative in nature. So that is part and parcel. It's about asking questions and listening and, and getting to a place of empathy and understanding and helping our clients get there at the same time. So it was always part of just who we were as an organization. And then we started noticing um, clients were having a issues, having empathy with their consumer and also recognizing, starting to recognize it and seeking out opportunities to have some quick, get some empathy um, type sessions. So we started offering those experiences up for our clients and curating, you know, quick down and dirty speed dating. And we have a game we invented called Lifeology that our clients play directly with their consumer so that they're having a conversation as real people. And it strips away the mirror of the focus group facility. It strips away all the facade. And they're having a conversation in real time with a real human being and trying to understand who they are and finding all the things that they actually have in common that they maybe wouldn't have even even realized, but making that deeper connection. So empathy, I mean, it's, it just, it seemed like a no brainer um, for us to, to be doing this. And then ultimately, as I was um, talking to college students and lecturing at some marketing courses, I would share, you know, talk about what we do in sets and strategy, but talk about the role of empathy. And the students were just hanging on the, every word of the stories that I was telling, some of which are in the book. And that's when it was like, oh, you know what? I need to use these stories, use my own experiences with empathy to help other people understand empathy itself and, and how to maybe get there and overcome their own barriers. That's so true. And I've talked before about the fact that I didn't realize I was using empathy to be successful for many, many years. It just you know, not to pat myself on the back, but it it came naturally of, you know, when I worked in an ad agency, of course, I was going to spend time with the creatives, getting to know the process and getting to know that side of it. And then people wondered why I, as an account manager, spent so much time on the creative floor. And it was like, you know, and the same thing when I was working as a management consultant, it was, I was doing change management, but I was sitting side by side with the, with the programmers and the tech teams trying to understand what it was they were trying to create so that I could communicate it better so that I could talk about it better. And it, it, I found that it endeared me to those groups. And I actually collaborated better with them because they were like, oh, she actually cares about the work we do. So I'm sure it's true for you too. And I think as marketers, you start to realize that really is your superpower. It's not just about what we want to tell the market in our advertising, in our messaging, but what does our audience need to hear 
And how does it align with their values and their aspirations and their fears? Mm -hmm. And I think the more and more people, it's exciting that, that leaders are starting to understand that from a marketing perspective, because I I left corporate many years ago because I got, especially tech marketing, because I got tired of feeling like we weren't marketing human beings. Yeah. It felt like we were marketing to robots and we were expected. And I, you probably have this experience too. It doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C, you're still selling to a human. I was, yes, I was just having this conversation with, uh, I was at a conference recently and talking with some other researchers and we were talking about B2B, business to business research versus B2C, business to consumer and how there's still, you know, and it it's dissolving slowly but surely, but there's this attitude that if you're a buyer in some sort of corporate environment, that it's all numbers-based and it's very- Yeah, fun. it's all logical. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's an emotion that's still tied up in this. It's about the relationship that you build with the sales rep. It's about wanting to look good, get promoted, be the star of your team, all of those. And those are all emotional things. So- yeah. You need to understand, you need to have empathy with people and how they're thinking and feeling, regardless of whether it's in the business world or in the, the somebody's personal life. Um, and yeah, you, you see, especially in tech, there's so much focus on productivity and just the, the numbers, the metrics and everything. And it's like, no, there are actually humans behind all of this. And there are humans that are doing things and we are human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people actually are uncomfortable with that word human. Yeah. So I'm trying to also now I'm like, hmm, I think we need to, to get people, push them into that discomfort and, and get a little more comfortable with the idea of we're all human beings. And what does mm-hmm. productivity for a human mean mm-hmm. rather than a robot? Because we're not robots. Right. 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 And that's why, you know, we go through this exercise of, of ideal client personas or ideal customer personas for that very reason, because when you're trying to market to this broad demographic of like, you know, women between the ages of 25 and 65, like what, what does that even mean? Right. You have to actually pinpoint an actual person with a life and hobbies and, uh, and personality traits And it doesn't mean every customer has to fit that bill and check all of those boxes. It just gives you a target to shoot for. Yeah. At least I understand what they're thinking and what their world is like. Totally. I I always talk about, and as we think about when we're writing consumer personas, I say a client has done a segmentation and we're helping them bring that to life. It's not that it's, you know, oh, 35 year old white women who do yoga and drink a glass of red wine four times a week. Because there's millions of those people. It's like, give me that next level down of nuance. What are the other things that really make this person human so that you, and different and distinct so that you can really connect with them because then you suddenly really understand who you're talking to and who you're marketing to so that you're going to be much more effective in your communication with them. Well, I, I love this idea, this notion that you also talk about, which is how empathy helps us not judge our customers, but better understand them. And we were sharing some stories before we started recruiting or we started recording about the fact that we have found with some of our clients that there's almost a disdain and a resentment of their customers. And I don't think they realize it, but it comes through when you're having those conversations about who are these people? What do they, what do they want? What do they need? For some of, and you know, you tell me with your work, for some of my clients, it's been interesting because they have, for example, if they describe their ideal customers as 
a little bit arrogant, very ambitious. Some of them will say that with, with love, with like, we get them. That's just who they are. And this is how we need to speak to them. Others might say it with disdain and resentment. (laughs) So, so talk to me about that, what you've seen in terms of marketing leaders or marketing professionals that how can you tell where they're actually looking down at their customers versus being empathetic? You know, it's, I mean, just like you were saying, there's a little bit of a tone in their voice, in their statement of, I just don't understand how somebody could pay this much for this product. You know, um, the, the, uh, well, I get in trouble for this. I don't know. Um, Years ago. (laughs) Bring it. (laughs) I'm going to, I'll share. Years ago, I was working for a yogurt manufacturer, and this was back when the Greek yogurt, you know, Chobani exploded onto the scene and Faye mm-hmm. was there. And all of a sudden, people shifted from buying their cups of Danon and Yoplait to wanting Greek yogurt and higher protein and, you know, these really expensive price points, sometimes two and a half times the price of the traditional mainstream yogurts. And we were working with one of those yogurt manufacturers. And I remember the marketing director, we'd gone out to do, a, they hired us to do a study on like who's eating these yogurts and why. We'd gone out. And yes, I know. <laughs> the cat has joined the podcast. Oh, I know. So the, you know, like she couldn't join a call with a client, but she just. Yeah, yeah. She won't do it. She won't perform on demand. Yeah. No, no, just right now. Um, So anyway, the marketing director said after we came back, we're presenting everything. And he's like, I just don't understand why somebody would spend a dollar 25 on a cup of yogurt when they could get ours for 55 cents. And it's like, there's just so much. um, And the tone of voice, the way they said it. And it's like, well, we just told you, like showed you quotes from the consumer. And they were just they had built up this brick wall right. of judgment and they just weren't willing to, to get beyond that. And I think most people, unless you're at a, a small startup and you maybe are the founder of that startup, most people aren't the consumer of the brand that they are the business that they are promoting, working on. Right. So you have to dismantle your judgment. You've got to get to a place of empathy to understand what's motivating your consumers. And in particular, you do have to be careful when, especially there's a a big difference um, in income level and education level between your consumer. It's very easy to fall into some, those people, other. Right. Some false narratives that you, you're, you bring those, you know, those implicit biases. Yeah, absolutely. To the table and, and you don't realize you do, but I think also as you start some, you know, you can see some marketers that have been beat down by trying to do something different. And so they start to be a little bit resentful of customers not responding to their marketing. And so right. all of a sudden it's, it's the fault of the customer. Yeah. Instead yeah. Of the fault of the marketing. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Where you're not necessarily connecting with the fact that, Hey, this consumer doesn't, you know, if I take it from a B2C perspective, this consumer doesn't have time to care about whether it's organic or not. They've got other issues. So you got to understand what those other issues are and talk about how your product solves that problem. Right. Um, But you've got to have empathy with the consumer in order to do that. And you cannot be putting your own lens on 
your consumer. You've got to see the world through their eyes. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, and it doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C, like otherwise you're just not going to be able to be effective. Right. And I think that's the magic of putting together a brand strategy and a brand story is that that fine line, that dance you have to do between who are we as an organization and what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to offer balanced with who are the people we need to serve and what do they need from us? So you've got to be able to have an open mind and, you know, a a good friend of mine always says, you know, ego kills empathy to be able to give a little of, yeah, maybe this is the story that you want to tell and, and you want to tell it because it's going to please the analysts or it's going to please the press. I get this a lot with my tech clients. It's like, do your customers even say those words? I don't think they do. (laughs) So it's, it's getting into, into the, the mind of your consumer and being able to go, okay, tell us what you think. Tell us how you use the product. Tell us what value you're getting out of our product. And even, I love this question when I'm doing customer insight interviews, how do you describe our product Yes, to your peers? Yeah. And it might be words we never even use in our marketing, but yeah. you, you need to, you, you got to grab hold of that because if that's how people are talking about you, then you got to use that language. You got to use that language. Yeah. That rather than trying to get them to speak a different language and different vocabulary. And right. then hopefully if they adapt to it, then right. try amplify it. You can't, it's, it's right. It's actually, it's like, there's, there's more work in the upfront to have empathy and to get to that place of empathy. But once you're there, it makes everything else a lot easier because you're going to be more successful and it just like paves the road. Um, and, and gee, wouldn't it be great to be able to turn around and tell the media and tell the analysts how smart we are because we have empathy with our consumer and this is how they talk about it and think about it. And that's what we're doing and why, rather than again, like you're not, are you really even having empathy with the analysts and understanding what, what do they really need to know? Right. Right. Cause you know, the analysts are mostly just creating language so that they can sell more services. Right. So, <laughs> which good on them. But, um, so I want to talk a little bit, I want to take a step back because you, you talk a lot about the empathy crisis and I agree that there's an empathy crisis. There is however, conflicting research and data around if younger generations, Gen Z are less empathetic or more empathetic. And I have always, I found when I was researching my book, I could find the research study that supported either point of view, because there's a lot that talks about Gen Z because they are more aware of what's going on with groups that are different from them. They're one, you know, one of the most diverse generations that are entering the workforce that they tend to have more empathy and that they value empathy and they value diversity of thought as a way to get to a better business solution. However, there are also studies like the study from the University of Michigan that you talked about, which is showing a decline in empathy. So can you tell us where, where you landed on that research and, and the state of the empathy crisis in, in our world today? Yeah, I mean, the, the University of Michigan <clears throat> study of studies, you know, if you think about that came out in 2010. So that's really just focused on millennials yes. uh, and showing, you know, what, what that study is really talking about is the decline in empathy from 1979. That 40% that they reference is over time, over those 22 or so years, right. it hit the bottom in 2001 and then never moved. 
It didn't, you know, it didn't go down any further, but it also didn't go up. So, so to me, it's like showing that, hey, there's been this decline that's going on. And, and what I think about with that study is, you know, okay, if you were in college in 2001 today, that's, you know, you were 20 years old in 2001. That means you're in your early forties now, maybe you're a parent or a middle manager, marketing leader, whatever, and you have less empathy. <laughs> that's yeah. a problem. There's a challenge. Yeah. And then you look, you know, you don't have to look very far to the great resignation and what's going on mm-hmm. because of our lack of, of empathy skills or the decline in empathy skills. And then some data from our own uh, empathy study that we fielded recently, 31% of American adults, 18 plus, and we surveyed a thousand people. Uh, so it's a good sample size. One third of American adults are unable to agree with the statement, I can easily see the point of view of others. And that's really concerning mm-hmm. uh, as well on its own. And we've, and I haven't completed the analysis yet, but we've been digging into like, okay, well, who is it that's having issues and which of the like five steps we dug into that, like where are people having issues? And it really gets into um, challenges around, um, you know, education actually can hinder um, because your judgment actually starts to solidify the more yes. educated you are. And you're, you're kind of taught that, you know, you, yours is the right way. And you, you know, corporate America teaches you to stand for what you believe in. and rah, rah, rah. So you actually have more judgment getting in your way. Um, similarly, if you are older um, and white judgment also and male judgment starts to get in your way more, Mm -hmm. but men have more challenges, actively, actively listening. The third step, Mm -hmm. Uh, the younger generation, if I recall for them, it was about understanding what questions to ask. So the second step in the five steps of asking good questions, Mm -hmm. that's where they're kind of like, I'm not really sure what to say or how to ask, Mm -hmm. frame something up. So I'm not, so yes, I would say Gen Z is showing a strong penchant. We haven't seen it in the data yet that, mm-hmm. oh, they were any different than any of the other mm-hmm. um, groups um, that it might be reversing itself. But I think some of that is the awareness. They, they are more aware of all the different segments of society. They're much more accepting. They're exposed to it <clears throat> in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that's creating the position that they do have more empathy and they maybe haven't had the life experiences to teach them, you know, that you you get more rigid the older you get. Exactly. There's Uh, also studies that show that um, empathy wanes as you become, as you go higher up in an organization. Yeah. For example, they, I, I don't know the exact study, but where they, they looked at founders who were very empathetic to the needs of their their, their customers, their clients, they were solving a real problem. They surrounded themselves with people to help them. And then when they got to a certain point, they started to believe their own hype and then started to surround themselves with people that agreed with them or saw things the same way they did. And I thought that was fascinating of just being aware as a leader that at the higher up you get, the more insulated you can become. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've, we've seen that um, they, they get, yeah, you will. And I think as a leader, there's this misperception that you have to be right and that you have to have the right answer. Yes. And so they can't admit you don't know. Yeah. 
Right. That's considered a sign of weakness. So as a result, people are then forced to like, yeah, you're not going to have empathy with everybody else. You got to come up with a decision. If, if you don't have um, the confidence in yourself to admit that, oh, I'm wrong or, oh, I need to think about this. Tell yeah. me what you think yeah. and build the empathy out. Um, it can be challenging. Someone posted recently on social media um, about, you know, oh, I think Paul Pullman at Unilever had said at one point, like, oh, he doesn't use empathy because if he used empathy all the time, he'd be making like bad decisions instead. Oh, that drives me crazy. <laughs> and, and, That's you know, not it, what empathy is. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and I understand there's some organizations that are wanting to move this ahead into mm-hmm. the things that, how empathy actually enables things. Um, right. You know, in the way I, I have a slide that I love in my presentations where I talk about how empathy it, uh, enables the skills that let us be the people that we want to be. And so you've got empathy, but empathy is the secret ingredient to communication, collaboration, persuasion, ideation, decision-making, forgiveness, trust, compassion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which lets us be a great leader, team member, manager, contributor, volunteer, all the things. Yeah. All the things. And I think that's the biggest myth is that it actually requires a lot of confidence to be empathetic because you have to be grounded enough and self-confident enough to be able to see another person's point of view or hear it without getting defensive, right? without, without feeling like it's a personal attack. It's just information. Exactly. It's not, and, and, and it's a misconception. I think people have about empathy that, oh, if I'm going to have empathy, I've got to give up my own point of view. Right. I have to, ca- I always call it caving into crazy demands. That's right. not empathy. That's acquiescence. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. Empathy is about having, I like that, having the confidence that there are other points of view out there mm-hmm. and it's okay. And to be curious about it because you might learn something. Mm-hmm. I, talk, I, I use the, in the, the fourth step is integrate into understanding. And to me, that one's about that making room in your head. Mm-hmm. I like chocolate ice cream. I don't know if you have a favorite flavor of ice cream or not. My mint chocolate me, chip. Mint chocolate chip. Tell mm-hmm. me what you like about mint chocolate chip. I like the zing and I like the, the bit of chocolate in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you like it when it's tinted green or it doesn't need to be white? I prefer white, but I will do green if that's what's on hand. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you like mint chocolate chip. I like chocolate. They're sort of related, but they're mm-hmm. not. you've got something that's got a mix in it. It's got the ch- chunks. Mm-hmm. If I'm needing to come up, let's say I work for, you know, dryers, ice cream, and I need to come up with a new flavor of ice cream. If I don't dismantle my own little chocolate only worldview, yeah. I miss out on all the wonderful things. If I need to create the next great mint chocolate chip ice cream, right? maybe there's something in there and I need to be open to the fact that, Hey, there is a world beyond chocolate. Mm-hmm. Mint chocolate chip sits very adjacent to it, but imagine somebody likes vanilla. And you Mm -hmm. need to understand a lot of people do. It's one of the most popular flavors of ice cream and vanilla. When you talk to people, there's something comforting about it. There's those warm floral notes that you get. There's the purity and the simplicity of a good vanilla ice cream. And you would miss all of that if you were like, vanilla, yuck. So you've got to have empathy. You got to open up and be ready for that. 
Um, and, and, and it's okay. It's okay to under, recognize that there are other ways of viewing the world. I love that so much. So we've kind of danced around it. I want to, I want to get specific about the great advice you give in the book and you talk about five steps to empathy and how anyone can strengthen their empathy. Um, so can we just briefly talk about the five steps and maybe can you, can you break down the first one for us? Absolutely. What are those steps? So five steps, and these are really steps to overcome the common barriers that people have to getting to a point of empathy in any interaction that they're having with somebody. And the first one is dismantling judgment. And then the second one, which I referenced was asking good questions. The third one is to actively listen. The fourth one is to integrate into understanding. And the fifth one is to use solution imagination, which is that moment when you're stepping into the shoes of somebody else. Mm -hmm. But dismantling judgment, um, what I've found, again, I think if you're working in, you know, quote unquote, corporate America, if you've got an advanced degree, judgment tends to be the thing that's going to get in your way the most. And as we've been talking about clients that are having judgment against who their consumer really is, mm-hmm. is just an example of that. And it's important to, to understand that there's actually different types of judgment. So I'm talking about being judgmental, the casting aspersion towards somebody else, the looking down on someone. Or making, like you said, making an assumption that it might not be true. Exactly, exactly. And that's different than um, making a judgment, making a decision, making a business decision is a form of judgment. That's, we need that. We need that to survive. Mm -hmm. But it's the being judgmental, which is, is, you know, in our society today, being judgmental is like a sport. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. It's true. It's true. So it, and it's not helping anything. No, it doesn't move things forward. No, but we seem to um, very easily want to throw that out because it helps reaffirm our worldview and make us feel safe. But you've got to catch yourself and recognize when you're being judgmental. And, and that judgment does come from stereotypes and past experiences and all the biases. And you need to just get to a place of realizing, oh, I'm about to say something, think something, and that's a judgmental thought. Mm-hmm. And then ask yourself if that's what you want to actually, you know, say, do think, or is there another way to move forward? Can you get beyond that judgment and just listen to somebody for Mm -hmm. who they are? You know, it's really interesting. And I've talked about this on the show before I do acting in my spare time, although I haven't had any spare time with the business and a child and all that, but, um, I've done community theater and independent theater and film and, one of the cardinal rules of acting is that you don't judge the character you're playing. So people that are playing horrible people doing horrible things, they don't play them as I'm a horrible person. No, they They play them as trying to understand what's behind the, the actions that they're taking. They don't think they're horrible people. They think they're right. They think they're noble. They think they're doing what they should be doing. And so you can't, you can, you can almost tell those bad performances where an actor actually didn't like the character they were playing. And so good actors are able to embody a character without the judgment piece. They're just taking the actions that that person was taking. And, you know, it's kind of like trying to apply that to our interpersonal relationships. And it's hard because we do have, we're humans and we have those biases. We have those worldviews. We have our own stances that we feel really strongly about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a wonderful man, if you're not familiar with him in the Bay area, Edwin Rutch, who runs the center for building a culture of empathy. And he, you know, has done these empathy circles at the most divisive political rallies in our country. And this is another thing you probably talk about too. Empathy is not about agreeing with someone. It's nope. just merely about understanding where they're coming from. Yeah. Even if in the end, you're still, I don't agree with you, but I understand how you got there. Exactly. And that's, that's what we need to understand in the business context. It's not a win loss scenario. Like just because you're empathetic doesn't mean you lose or you cave in. It just means you're factoring in another person's point of view. And sometimes you still have to make a tough business decision, but it's the way that you communicate it. It's the way that you make it. It's the support you offer after that makes it empathetic. Yes. Yes. I was, I had a conversation recently with a, a CEO who had me come in and give an empathy talk to his team and you know, review the five steps. And in a private conversation I was having with him afterward, just to check in and see how things were landing. He told me that he was concerned that being empathetic was going to be making him a pushover, that if he was too empathetic, he was you know going to acquiesce, as, as you said. And I said, no, not at all. It is about taking that information and using it to inform your decision-making. It's another data point. So you're not just focused on what's the best thing for the company, but it's like, what's that, which creates a win-lose, you know, if I've got company versus employee, see great resignation and people leaving because they feel (laughs) with them. Um, But now it's, okay, what works for the company and the intersection of that with what works for the employee and might meet the employee's needs or understanding where the employee is coming from so that you can then get to a better outcome that wins for everybody. And ultimately, if you've got a happy employee, they're going to do better in their job and your company's going to win in the long run. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean acquiescing. If, if you've got a performance issue, right. you have to address that, but you can use empathy to understand what's behind it. Right. What's going on for that person. And actually it can be the empathetic thing to do to coach someone out of a position where yeah. they're failing every day. Yeah, they, don't, they don't, nobody wants to feel like a failure every day. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I love that because that's, that's really about trying to get to the root cause of things instead of, instead of either using command and control or, you know, well, this employee is just hopeless and I'm just going to berate them in their performance review. It's really about trying to understand what's going on for somebody. And at the end of the day, this is the question I always get. Won't, won't quality slip if I'm an empathetic leader? Absolutely not. You still have boundaries. You still have standards. Yeah. It's just about being able to understand, okay, why is someone not meeting those standards and, and what, what can we do? Yes. What can we do? What, what will then motivate them? Everybody's motivated by different things. So mm-hmm. if you have empathy, some people want to be the star. Other people want to be a contributor or just do good work and mm-hmm. others just want to collect a paycheck. Right. You can motivate people in different ways uh, right. if you have empathy and understand where they're coming from. I, I find it so fascinating. I, I often uh, use a quote from Henry Ford. <laughs> Back and you know the quote. I think I Henry. opened my book with it. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Read it. I have your book over there. I can do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's the idea about the secrets of success is seeing another person's point of view as well as your own. And I mean, he said that in 1918. 
And like, hello, that's a big thing about empathy. And this right. is a man who modernized manufacturing and production. So he understood something, but then we seem to have lost sight of that or it mm-hmm. became secondary to all the other, um, you know, again, back mm-hmm. to the productivity, we're robots, not humans which ironically is linked back to the manufacturing line. So I, I, there's a great irony to unravel there, I think. Yeah. Um, but we lost sight of that and we got into this, it's about productivity and emotion is bad. And, you know, and, yeah. you know uh, which got into gender roles in the workplace and what's expected of men and that very madmen sort of um, attitude in the fifties and sixties. And we're just now realizing like, Ooh, wait a minute, we can crack all this open and it's okay to behave differently. Right. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. You know, it is one of the positives that has come out of the pandemic. We had that time to think and reflect on who we want to be and what we really want and what's going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, wait a minute. I had a kid doing cartwheels behind me on a zoom call and my boss said nothing about it. And in fact, got upset with me that's not very empathetic. Therefore I'm going to quit. I'm going to, I can go over to this other organization right? or the people that are actually thriving by working remotely. Yes. People that didn't feel safe in an office environment or didn't feel that their voice was heard in an office environment. And now you've got these companies that are experiencing some backlashes because they're forcing people to go back to the, in office. the office. And it, it, it's, that's not about what works. How can each of your individual employees work the best? Yeah. How can they, you know, if we want to talk about productivity, how can they produce the most for you and thrive? You know, it's like, I'm sure you did with your book. Like I, I wrote my book as a business case for skeptics to say, well, there's yeah. actual bottom line data that shows that if you lead with empathy, you can actually win. Right. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And for me, it was, I didn't want to write a book that was didactic and me telling people, this is what you have to do. I, I, instead I shared my stories and my yes. experiences and my failures it's very vulnerable. I'm very human in it. Yes. And people are responding to that because mm-hmm. it's allowing them to reflect on their own lives, but do it in their own way and in a way that's safe for them. Um, yes. And giving know, people a framework for whatever works for them. I mean, that's what's, you know, you don't have, it's not sort of a recipe book. No. You yeah. know, and it's, 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 it's like, here's a framework here. Here's some, here's some guidance around overcoming these barriers now you have to kind of make that your own. Exactly. Exactly. Because it is different for everybody. What gets, you know, I, for me, um, you know, and I say in the book, judgment is like a dominant gene in my family. We're all born brown-eyed and judgy. And so it's like, <laughs> well, that's us Italians. That's, that's where that comes from. <laughs> um, but so for me, dismantling judgment is the hardest step for me. And yes. I do find myself being judgmental at times and mm-hmm. you know, stopping myself. But then there are times where it's just my husband and I, and if I want to say something about, you know, a character on a reality TV show, well, I'll do it. Right. Um, and I feel safe in doing that. But right. one woman came to me at a reading uh, I gave recently and she I, I had mentioned that and she's like, I actually had a situation where her Gen Z child um, challenged she and her husband because they were feeling safe to, you know, say things that might be a little bit more judgmental because mm-hmm. we are human, you know, right. Don't, don't expect yourself to be perfect. But she didn't realize the effect and what it was saying to their son. 
and he was picking up on things and it was making him uncomfortable. Wow. So, you know, kudos to him. That's okay. Um, Kudos to him. Yes. Domino has some opinions on this. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Um, But he was being, he was being challenged or feeling threatened. And so he challenged them on it and they were able to have a good conversation and now change their own behavior or clarify like, Hey, I'm, feeling this in the moment, or I'm upset because they did this, 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 and this, and that may not be the right thing, but it's recognizing, you know, we're, we're all human. We're not perfect. And you've got to work on this. Absolutely. And actually that's, you know, maybe, and maybe this is just in the, you know, Northern California bubble, but I hear from friends who have older kids than I do, you know, teenagers who are like calling out their parents on on social and emotional learning and empathy, you know, don't, don't minimize her experience, mom, you know, (laughs) saying things like that. And I'm like, good on them. Like they're pushing, you know, hopefully that is a generational trend that's pushing all of that generation to think differently and to be aware, even if, again, even if they're not perfect. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, even if they're not perfect. It's helping expand awareness. And I think the gender identity and acceptance of the, the diversity in our society is sort of the transformational moment that we're having Yes, with this generation. This is kind of like their thing where I think, you know, boomers, it was the summer of love and it was a lot of that self-expression. Um, us Gen Xers just kind of survived. <laughs> <laughs> So we did to yeah. do a lot of gay rights and I think other yeah. social advances. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this is this is kind of the next the next the next phase. The next yeah. phase. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Rob. Thank you. And um, you know, everyone, please check out the book. Tell me more about that. Solving the empathy crisis, one conversation at a time. Curiosity is the number one trait of empathetic people. And Rob's book will really help you overcome these barriers. If you feel like you are not naturally empathetic and you need to strengthen that muscle. So Rob, we'll have all your links in the show notes, but where can folks find out more about you? Um, Well, so first you can go to my uh, website for the book, which is five, the number five steps to empathy.com. So five steps to empathy.com. And you'll find out more information about me. You can link into ignite 360 there. You can order the book directly. It's available wherever you buy books and at your library. Um, And then you can find me on social media Um, on most platforms. You can search empathy activist and I will usually come up or I'll be uh, RM Volpe. And it's everything from Instagram and LinkedIn, Twitter to Peloton and everything in between. <laughs> I love it. I'll have to connect with you on Peloton. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Rob, for your time and your insights today. Awesome. Thank you, Maria. And thank you everyone for tuning into another episode of the Empathy Edge. As always, please remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Tell a friend, rate and review. And until next time, thank you for listening and be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit theempathyedge.com. 
There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Thank you.